The Overwhelmed Brain is brought to you by lots of hard work and appreciation for you. Are you annoyed by affirmations? Are you also annoyed by that one person that's so loud that you can't even hear yourself think? Hey, is this the yoga studio? Hey, 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 how can I help you? We're, we're in the middle of class right now, so can I just ask you to be a little bit more quiet? <laughs> Sorry about that. I'm just here spreading a good message. And I made a little ditty just for yoga maniacs like you. Uh, a little ditty? It's this. When you're sad and have a frown, think positively and go dogward down. Wow. Um, thank you. Thank you so much. Will you do me a favor and wait in this room? This room? That's the outside and it's pouring out. Yeah, just... Uh, uh, hey, why are you pushing so hard? Just go out. Go out there. Thank you. If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then get ready to start creating the life you've always wanted now. This is Paul Coliani, host of The Overwhelmed Brain, the personal growth show for the critical thinker. On every episode, we'll talk about practical, down-to-earth steps to help you improve your mood and keep you sane in this powerful journey we call life. I want to help you bridge the gap between your emotions and reason, causing you to discover why you do the things you do and what you can do to reach higher levels of happiness and lower levels of stress and overwhelm. Now, if you're here to learn more common sense tips for improving your life, well, you're in the wrong place. This is a direct path to uncommon sense, and that's why it's going to help you learn, heal, grow, and evolve. Today's show is going to be a little different because I was up uh, preparing a couple late nights for a uh, what's called a summit, which is an online event where presenters will be interviewed or present things, speakers like myself, present things that uh, are of interest to a certain uh, niche audience. And I was invited, and I'm so honored to have been invited, to a summit called the Authority Super Summit. So I was one of 100, quote, experts (laughs) or authorities in their field of interest or connection of some sort. And they reached out to me to talk about what it takes to be an authority, uh, typically in the entrepreneurial world, uh, but uh, in the sense of how to get into the right mindset of being an authority. And, you know, the first thought that came to me was, wow, I'm completely blown away and honored to be one of a hundred people to be part of this event because it's just something I don't think about. I don't think of myself as an authority, as an expert. I just talk and I just come on on the air and talk to you and tell you what I know and teach you things that maybe you already know or haven't thought of in quite the way that uh, I have as a perspective. So I, I was thrilled, excited, and I found out this week nervous <laughs> about presenting to 
thousands and thousands of people, which I do every week anyway, but I do this recorded. I can record this. I can press stop. I can edit out something uh, that I don't want on the air, like if I start coughing or if my phone stops, starts ringing or <laughs> whatever happens. And it's a lot easier to just talk and then edit later. However, during this summit, I was live in front of thousands of people. And when you're on the air in a live event, you are on the air. So I was nervous and I was trying to figure out why am I nervous? Why did I get so nervous when I've been talking on the air for the last two and a half years? And you know, I thought, okay, it's live. But why does that matter? I mean, I've been a guest on a lot of shows and I can sit behind my microphone here and talk very easily about any subject, I mean, that I know of well. So why is it different when it's live? And I really think that it came down, at least for me, I got so nervous because there is no going back. It's that leap of faith. It's jumping off that cliff and hoping there's that giant stuntman air cushion at the bottom (laughs) that's going to protect you when you land. And sometimes there isn't. Sometimes you will crash and burn when you take a leap of faith like that. And that's what I had to do. I I really had to jump into this situation uh, knowing that I could fail in front of thousands of people. I could look like an idiot in front of thousands of people. I could totally just make a fool of myself. So I had some nervousness in me. And of course, I have tools to deal with nervousness. And, you know, what I did is something I use that I've told you before. It's called the drill down process. And the first question I ask is, why am I nervous? It's a simple question, right? Why am I nervous? Okay, so I went through the process. Why am I nervous? Well, because they have identified me as one of the top experts in my field. One of the top experts in personal growth and development. And the first thought that came to me was, can I live up to that? Is that who I am? Can I be that person? And so I thought, okay, is that what makes me nervous? Is that I won't be able to live up to that? And I thought, no, I know what I know. Because I come on the air every week and I teach what I know. I'm not going to teach you what I don't know. And I'm not going to lead you down a path of uncertainty where I don't, I'm not sure if this is going to work. I've tried everything I teach you. I, I come on the air and I only tell you what I know to be true, or at least I believe to be true and what I believe works. So I'm not being inauthentic in any way. So I was able to get past that. I was like, okay, why else? <laughs> why else am I nervous about this? So I, I thought about it again. I go, because because I can't control what other people think about me. And I thought, wow, that's an interesting thought process that came up. Why do I care about what are, what other people think about me? Because if they see me as any less than I have been labeled as before I got on that virtual stage, are they going to look down on me saying, he doesn't know what he's talking about. That's the dumbest advice I've ever heard. <laughs> and then I had to think, okay, you know, what if I'm sitting there talking and they judge the advice I'm giving or the insights that I have or 
maybe the story I have doesn't apply or, you know, all these thoughts in, in any situation like this can come to your mind. And that's what they did. They came to my mind. What's going to happen if I mess up? What's going to happen if uh, I'm put on the spot? So here's what happened. I went through that process. I kept drilling down, you know, what about that makes me nervous? And how is that a bad thing that I'm so nervous about it? Okay, so I'm nervous. Okay, so I mess up. What happens then? Okay, people judge me and maybe they don't like me. Okay, so what happens then? Why is that so bad? And so I went through that process and it really helped calm me down. It It helped calm my nerves. And like an hour before I was about to speak, I just sat there relaxing, knowing that I was coming on, but I really was fine then. It was just going to be another interview, another presentation on what I already know. And that's what that was probably the defining thing that really helped is knowing that I'll only be talking about what I already know. So even if they landed some impromptu question on me like, what do you think the meaning of life is? <laughs> well, I might have an answer for that actually, but if I couldn't answer it, I would have been like, you know, I don't know. But here's what it is for me. And and this is the same advice I give to people when they are about to take a job interview. Don't be afraid to say, I don't know, but I can learn. Or I don't know, but here's my take on it. Or something like that. Never be afraid to be the authentic you. Never be afraid to be genuine. Never be afraid to not know something. It's okay. Because I'll tell you what, 100% of the people you know don't know things. And some of them won't claim that they don't know things. And they'll argue their side, committing to a point that they may even believe they don't know all the facts on. So don't be afraid to not know. It just shows everyone else how authentic you are. And so that's how I came on the air on that summit a couple nights ago. It was like 2 a.m. my time. It was across the sea. They were recording it. And I had to be wide awake at 2 a.m. So I started drinking my caffeinated beverage at 10 p.m., which definitely helped. And I'm not recommending that you should drink caffeine to get more energy. I know there's green drinks and things like that, but... I decided to drink caffeine and it worked out. So, <laughs> And I was drinking tea. That comes from a leaf. So that's all natural, right? I, I think that's okay. Well, when you add the sugar, it might change things a bit. So <laughs> anyway, by 2 a.m., uh, the call was coming up like 15 minutes to go, 10 minutes to go, 5 minutes to go. And I finally dialed in. It was a video call. And there I was. And I always like to, or a lot of times, I like to break the ice in some way, break the tension, especially that I feel. So one of the first things I did was I told the host, or I asked the host, so what's it like when uh, thousands of people are are staring at you on video hour after hour after hour? Because he had been going for many, many, many hours uh, recording this event because it was a 65-hour event. It was a world record, and they are submitting this into the Guinness Book of World Records. So this is something else that's really cool. I was part of breaking a world record, so very happy about that and very grateful to be invited to it. So I asked him. He'd been on the air for just a few hours, um, but the guy before him was on for like 12 hours, 
And Josh, the person that was interviewing me, was on for several hours and he had several hours to go. So I, I asked him, what's it like when thousands of people are staring at your face and you, you, you can't like do things that are more personal, like, oh, I got to pick my nose or something. <laughs> and he laughed and he said, oh, I, I have a solution for that. And he blanked out his screen and showed the uh, Summit logo. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. And so we laughed about it. And it really, it really helped me break the tension. I needed to laugh to break any of the tension that was still in there. And, you know, the reason I tell you this, there's a, there's a point to all this, not just to tell you that I'm so happy to be on a summit, but when you go into any situation that you're nervous about, drill into yourself in a way where you go, why am I so nervous? And what about that makes me nervous? And how is that a bad thing that I'm nervous because of that? For example, why am I so nervous? Well, I'm nervous because I might feel judged or I might get judged. All right, well, what about being judged makes me nervous? Well, if they judge me, then they might think less of me. And if they think less of me, then I, for example, in an interview, I might not get the job. Or on stage, they may ridicule me. They may talk about me to their friends. They may think I'm not that smart. And then ask yourself, well, yeah, but how is that a bad thing? And then your mind's going to melt because it's trying to figure out why you asked that question. And then you'll go, well, it's a bad thing because I don't want to be ridiculed. I don't want to be judged. And then you drill down even more. Why not? Well, what do you mean, why not? Nobody wants to be judged. Nobody wants to be ridiculed. Yeah, but why don't you want to be ridiculed? How is that bad? And then your mind's going to melt a little more as it tries to figure out uh, how to answer that question. And I'm going to leave it right there, but you see what I'm you see where I'm going with that. You keep drilling down and drilling down and trying to figure out how that's so bad. And it feels bad, yeah. But why? Why does it feel bad? How is it bad? What about it is bad? And even if it was the worst thing that could possibly happen, how is that even bad? Oh, <laughs> you start thinking about these things in a way that you haven't thought about because you never broke through the tension, the first surface layer of not wanting to feel that way. You just go, I'm nervous. Well, why are you nervous? Because I'm about to go on stage. Oh, that makes sense. And then you stop right there. Oh, that's why I'm nervous because I'm going to go on stage and never dig any deeper than that. You just assume, okay, being on stage means you're nervous. Well, I recommend you dig and dig and dig and keep digging and explore those nerves, explore those fears, explore any negativity that you're feeling. Because the more you explore it and uncover it and release it, because that's what happens. As soon as you uncover it, it gets released. It's like picking up a big rock and finding something under it and it's finally free. It's like, oh, I can get out from under this rock. That's like your emotions. When you have those negative or fearful or angry or any type of emotions that make you feel not so good, it's like they're under a rock. So explore, you know, why is that rock there? Why does it, you know, it's kind of a metaphoric, but why is that emotion there? And just drill into it until you discover it and figure it out. And then when you figure it out, it squashes some of the energy that keeps it down there. And it can release. It doesn't always release, but it can at least break it up a little bit. 
So anyway, I'm going to stop talking now. This segment went way too long, but I wanted to share the Authority Super Summit that I was on. It's it's already over, but there are classes, I think, still going on with it. So, uh, you know, you can check out my Facebook page to see the posts that I made about that. But uh, I'm just so grateful to be selected for that and seen as the authority or at least one of the many authorities in personal growth and development. I'm proud to be a part of that. I'm proud to be recognized. And all I did to get there, if you want, if you want to know how I got to this place, all I did was keep showing up. And that's all you need to do is keep showing up and also provide as much value to others as you can. Just keep giving if you can. I'm just giving you what I know every week. And everything I know, I try to teach you here. And I consider myself a teacher, not an expert. I consider myself a teacher because I know there's more to learn. And as long as I know there's more to learn, I will never close my mind and be, quote, the expert. I'll take the authority role, sure. (laughs) I'm one of the authorities. Great. That feels good, but I don't see myself as, quote, the expert, but I do see myself as a teacher. And that feels good because that means there's always more to learn. A teacher learns what they learn, and then they teach it to others. And that means that I'll always be learning. And hopefully, I'll always be teaching because we are all teachers in some way. And as long as you keep showing up, you will also get recognized. You will also be seen if you want to be. I mean, you don't have to be. You can hide behind your job or a blog or a podcast or a book or whatever you're doing in the world. You can give freely and no one has to know who you are, or you can give and just spread the word about who you are and just say, hey, this is me. This is who I am. I'm trying to be as genuine and authentic as possible, and I just want you to learn, heal, grow, and evolve. (laughs) So let's get to our first email coming up next. And every week we talk to Asha with GetOutOfTheMess.com. And uh, this week we're going to fly right by that and not get to talk with Asha, unfortunately. Asha is an independent associate for a legal shield and she decided to become an associate for them because she talks about them a lot with people. Because people will get into a situation where they could use a lawyer. And she found herself talking about it over and over again. Oh, you got to call these guys. I can call them anytime. It's just $20 a month. And she gets so excited about it. And she goes, wait a minute. I keep talking about it, but why don't I just sell this for them or connect people with them and make some money doing it? And she decided to call Legal Shield and uh, become an associate. And now that's what she does as kind of a side business for herself is that she connects people with Legal Shield to get them services that they wouldn't otherwise be able to afford. Or at least they save hundreds, if not thousands of dollars on legal services. I was talking about this the last couple of weeks, but I am in the process now of starting a book because a publisher reached out to me and they sent me a 14-page contract. And I'm looking through this contract going, 
I don't even <laughs> I don't even know if this is good for me or not. But because I'm part of the Legal Shield plan that Asher connected me with, I'm able to just send them this contract and they're going to review it. So what I'd like you to do, if you have anything going on in your life where you feel like you're alone or backed into a corner or you just feel like you have rights but you just can't seem to use those rights or honor those rights or you just can't seem to get to a place where you're in a better position to either defend yourself or prove that you're right about something then call Asha at 678-355-8777 you can also go to her website getoutofthemess.com if anything at least just ask her a question if this service is right for you she's not a salesperson she's not going to sell you on it she totally believes in the service she has been using the service herself for eight years and she loves providing this solution for you she loves providing this solution for anyone that she talks to so no matter what situation you're in just call asha and ask her if this would be something that would help you in your position six seven eight three five five eight seven 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 All right, this next segment is called Ask Paul. It's something I do once a week. And uh, last week I did two or three, maybe four emails, I forget. And I kind of called them rapid fire emails. Let's do some rapid fire email answering, which is where I just pull up an email that I received. Really haven't had time to review it, but I do my best to um, just read it on the air, omitting any private information that indicates who wrote it, and then answer on the fly. So, Let's see where we go today. All right, this is from someone I'm going to call Melinda. She says, Hi, Paul. Thank you for a wonderful podcast. I honestly don't think I had been able to get through the past nine months without them. A good friend of mine referred me to your podcast when I first began to have anxiety attacks after my last breakup. Your words of wisdom, advice, and encouragement are so very valued. I feel I need your help. It's been several months and I am still in terrible pain. I cry myself to sleep often and I so worry that my heart will never heal. My boyfriend and I were together for about three years and would talk often about our future together. It was a wonderful and positive relationship and we enjoyed each other's company and laughed often and encouraged one another's dreams. But we broke up last year. The reasons he gave for our breakup was... And he wanted to live alone and be alone, a life free of commitment, and that a life with a mortgage and marriage and children just wasn't for him. He went on to say how much he knew I wanted a family, but he simply didn't want children and they would never be for him. Well, several months later, this ex-boyfriend was in a relationship with someone else he knew. Now this broke my heart all over again. I don't believe he would have begun a physical relationship while we were still together. However, I do believe he was forming an emotional connection with this other woman prior to our breakup. Seeing him in another relationship made me question whether he was telling me the truth when he said he wanted to live alone and be alone and a life free of commitment. His explanation for this was that he could only ever be in a relationship again if the other person was like him. Now, my interpretation of like him 
was that the other person also wouldn't want a house or marriage or children. This was the man I was planning my entire life with, so it hurt me on the deepest level seeing him with someone else so soon after he ended our relationship. And every single day has been a struggle since our breakup, and now I fear I have depression. I've been doing everything I can to move on, including seeking counseling and listening to your podcast and reading and investing in my health and fitness. I spend time with friends and family, and I'm going on a trip with a friend and even starting to date again. A few weeks ago, I woke up to messages from a couple of my best friends telling me how strong I am and how proud they are of me and how far I've come on my own since the breakup. However, I heard some news that would hurt me. They told me that my ex-boyfriend and his new girlfriend are going to have a baby. I felt like my entire world crumbled around me. The only small relief I've been able to give my heart since our breakup was that he didn't ever want children. I feel like I've lost not only my best friend, but my soulmate, the person I wanted to wake up next to every morning and see his smile and wonderful eyes. The person I wanted to share all of life's joys and sorrows with, and for some reason, one I'm not sure I will ever understand, he's no longer in my life. I need your help to let it go. My heart is still in so much pain from this breakup and from no longer having the man I love in my life. I'm desperately seeking relief from the pain that I am constantly in. It makes me wonder what I did so wrong that this other woman can come in and have the life I wished for and planned for with my ex in just a few months' time. He never gave me an apology for the hurt that he has caused me, nor has he accepted that some of the things he said to me initially may not have been true. And he's still claiming that he never lied and that this woman is just like him. The man I dated was kind and compassionate, and I haven't seen that man since the breakup. Anyway, I couldn't include everything in this email. It would have gone on too long. I appreciate your time in reading this, and I apologize for adding to the large amounts of emails that you receive. However, I feel like this is the only thing I haven't yet tried to relieve my pain healthily, and I trust, honor, and respect your advice and opinion. With thanks and kindness, Melinda. Okay, Melinda, thank you for writing that. That is a lot to try to deal with, and I totally relate. I totally get it. Um, I was in a 13-year relationship with a girl that I thought I was going to be with forever, or at least until I died, <laughs> or at least until one of us died. And uh, when she told me one night that she couldn't love me the way I needed or wanted to be loved, that was a devastation I'll never forget. And the very next day, she moved out. Within a couple months, maybe three or four months, she was married to the neighbor. <laughs> I laugh at it now because I'm way over it and I've done a lot of healing. But just think about that. I mean, I relate. And you don't have to think about that because you're feeling it. I get it. You have had promises from someone, or at least um, you believed what someone said that they don't want kids and they want to find someone just like them and now he's found someone and he's having a kid well there was a place I had to come to inside where I said to myself is she leaving me because of me or is she leaving me because of someone else she met 
And really, no matter how I put it, it still comes back to me. Now, I'm not saying you need to blame yourself. (laughs) I'm not saying that at all. There's no blame here. There's no blame. There's just some reflection and some insights that I'm I'm going to share with you. The reflection is something that you do within where you go, this person made promises. We made our future plans together. I had plans on, actually, this is kind of a funny side story. When I was in that 13-year relationship, I made a plan to move to Georgia with her. I just picked a state out of the blue because of real estate prices and weather and things like that. This was in the 90s and uh, or early 2000s. And when we broke up in 2005, that never came to fruition. We stayed in Florida. And then I met someone else and I moved to California and I've been to New Hampshire and Oregon and Texas and all those other places since. But when I met the girl I'm currently with, I decided to move to be close to her and she was in Georgia. (laughs) So it's funny how it came full circle with the right person. Now, I said something or two things that don't feel very good. One, not everyone wants to be with you. That's not, that's not good advice. <laughs> that's not something you want to hear. And there's a lot of people that want to be with you because they're looking for someone just like you. Now, what happens is we get into a relationship where the person we're with doesn't really synchronize in every way. And we figure this out after we've been with them for a while. I figured out that there's a lot of things that uh, I wanted in a relationship that I couldn't get from my 13-year relationship. So I compromised, I settled, I figured out ways to uh, work with what I had. And then the relationship kind of conformed to how I configured it or how we both configured it. So we made it work. And there are relationships that you can make work and they will work. Then there's the flip side of that. There are relationships that you can try to make work and they won't. And they never will. And then one person says something one day that doesn't feel very good and they leave. They may lie, they may withhold information, but they eventually leave. That's what happened to me, and it was devastating. And I, like you, got depressed. I felt it. It was awful. But what this did was give me an opportunity to understand, and this is my second part, what is it in me that they would have left? What is it about me that they would have left? I thought I was great. And... You know, I thought I thought it was back then. And so I really had to reflect on what I was doing that might have caused this person to leave. Now, unfortunately, I didn't figure that out for my next relationship. So in my next relationship, that woman whom I, I married, she left too. So I was with her for eight years. She left too. I'm thinking... Oh my God, what's wrong with me? What, what is my problem? Because I had to understand that these people are leaving me. I mean, every woman in my life has left me. So I, I had to return to the common denominator, me. 
and understand that I must be doing something bad. I must be the problem. And that doesn't feel good being the problem. It doesn't feel good knowing that I'm the one that they keep leaving, that I'm not the one who ever leaves. They're, they're the ones that keep leaving me. So I'm like, God, am I a problem? Am I just unlovable? You know, I, I went through these, this questioning, like maybe you are going through. I don't know. But you know, it's the hard questions that you have to ask yourself to get through just to hear the answer. I mean, maybe the answer is, yeah, I'm unlovable. Ouch, that's not good. It might make you cry. It might make it might hurt. But it doesn't mean it's true. But what it does mean is that you have thoughts inside of you that you carry from relationship to relationship. You have beliefs inside of you that you carry from relationship to relationship throughout the years. And as long as those thoughts and beliefs exist, you will create truths around them. Or should I say, you will create significant events that cause hurt in you, that cause you to be in relationships that are dysfunctional, that end, that keep going south, and it will hurt over and over again. I know, it's still not good news. Where's the good news? (laughs) I know, I'm getting there. The idea is to understand that what you're carrying into the relationship is how the relationship conforms. It's how the relationship transfigures itself, if that's a word, (laughs) into what you shape it into. The relationship is created out of the product of both of you. And what's inside both of you goes into the relationship. And where that goes will depend on how healthy you both are individually. So the question comes back to you. And here's the question. I haven't asked you yet. What is it inside you that needs to heal before you get into the next relationship? Now, this is something I had to ask myself. What is it inside me that needs to heal before I get into the next relationship? And, you know, my first answer is, I don't need to heal. I think I'm fine. I'm, I'm the one who loved them and gave them everything they wanted. That was what came out of me. And then I had to think, okay, but yeah, but why did they leave? I don't know why they left. It's not my fault. They, they were telling me things that I believed and I thought it was going to last for the rest of our lives. Yeah, but you keep getting left behind. Ouch. That's not good. Why? Why is that happening to me? Well, one of the first steps I took out of this cycle of repeated dysfunctional relationships was understanding or at least exploring the depth of pain and hurt inside me when I'm not in a relationship. What is the depth? How deep does it go of the pain and the hurt or maybe the unworthiness how deep does that go? How do, how do you feel about your worth, your self-esteem, any pain that you hold on to from childhood, anyone that's treated you wrong from childhood until now? How are you holding on to it? Are you holding on to it? How are you doing it? What are you doing that for? Why? There's a million questions around it, but your level of healthy relationship will only equal your level of healthy self. 
Now, I'm not saying you're unhealthy, but you do carry things with you from childhood. You do carry some of the pains and some of the hurts and some of the things that are hard to forget. I mean, just parental neglect you can carry into your adult relationships. If you were a child and your parents never said, I love you, or never held you the way you wanted to be held, or never held you at all, you're going to look for that in your partner. You're going to look for being held. You're going to look for that love. You're going to look for the attention that you never got. And let me tell you what that does. It creates an aura of neediness and dependency on someone else. I'm not putting you down for that. This is exactly what I went through. Uh, in my 13-year relationship, my long, my longest ever, I had a neediness for her to fulfill me, to make me happy, to complete me. You've heard that. I had this neediness, this dependency on her. As long as they're there, I'll be happy. You know what that does to the other person? It wears them out. It puts a lot of pressure on them. They may not know it's pressure because at first they really love the attention. They really love being the center of that attention and being catered to and waited on. And Everything you're doing is for them. But then after the, the settling comes in and you want to define your own roles, the masculine and the feminine roles in the relationship, People start being a little bit more individual, being comfortable with one another, being happy together and happy in themselves. If that doesn't come into play and the roles stay the same from day one, where you're constantly giving more and more attention and the other person just maybe wants to be left alone once in a while, it gets hard. This is what I was doing to my ex-girlfriend. I was I was always coddling her and making sure I always told her I loved her and I always wanted to hear it back. I always wanted to hear how she felt being with me and I looked for it and I had a need for her to tell me how she felt about me because if she didn't tell me then I felt in deficit. I felt a loss and it was a lot of pressure on her and it was hard for her. It was hard for her to stay in a relationship where she had to continue providing that for me. It sucked away her energy. It drained her. Now, I'm not saying that's what you're doing. I'm just saying that when we have this longing for the person that we love and they leave us, we feel in deficit. We feel like there's something huge missing. It's not just the loss. It's more, it's how we felt while we were with them. Because there's a difference, there's a big difference between how we feel when we're with someone, how we feel when they're away, and how we feel when they're gone. When we're with them, how do you feel? Are you dependent on them for your happiness? Are you dependent on them to feel love? And when they're away, on vacation, on a business trip, at work for the day? Are you longing for them? And you can't wait for them to return because you need some sort of completion. You don't feel whole. You don't feel integrated. You don't feel happy unless they're there. Do you feel that? Or do you feel comfortable in yourself and enjoying your me time and really doing what you want to do with your life, 
whether it's work or hobby or whatever, your passion, are you pursuing those interests? Or is it all about the other person? Is it all about, okay, I'm going to do this until this other person comes back and then I can be happy again. And then when they're gone, when we get divorced or the person dies or they go off with someone else, I mean, the painful, this is the most painful stuff. How are you then? Who are you then? Yes, there's a betrayal that's felt. There's, if they, you know, go with someone else or a huge loss, like even if they just left us, and they don't want us back. It feels like they're dead. It feels like they died and now we're grieving because we can't get that back in our life. And this is normal. It's normal to grieve when someone leaves us because we share so much with them. We share so much of ourselves, our dreams, our goals, our ambitions in life with this other person that when they leave, it does feel like they've taken a part of us with them and when they do that and when they're gone that part of us feels like it's still with them so this this leads us into what we need to talk about which is the healing process which is where you need to go with this melinda you need to go into this healing phase and you know one of the first things i had to do you see the problem is in my 13 year relationship i didn't heal I was depressed, and when I met the next woman that I eventually married, I stayed depressed for about two years. I mean, I was healing, and I told this story before, but I had a breakdown at the beginning of our relationship, which started the healing process. I cried about hatred for my stepfather and all the hate that I carried with me for and anger throughout the years. When that came out in tears, that was the first step of letting go of the pain and the hurt I'd been holding on to for years. So what happened is uh, I started healing in this relationship. So my marriage did get better, but I still had pain. I still had hurt. And my marriage didn't last because I never had enough time to myself to explore, understand, and be compassionate and give myself the attention that I needed, the love that I needed, the compassion that I so wanted for me, that I was seeking in other people. I never gave that to myself because I always sought the next person. I was always looking for the next person to do that for me. I don't want to deal with it. Let someone else do that for me. That's unhealthy. So after my divorce, what I ended up doing again was going, oh, it's me again. I'm the problem again. How come this is happening to me again? By then, I had done some healing, but not all of it. So I had to ask myself a question, which is this. What did I do to contribute to the cause of the end of this relationship? What did I do specifically that would have driven her away? This isn't self-blame. It's just taking responsibility for your role in the relationship. Things that you didn't even know you were doing. I didn't know I was doing it, but I sort of did after I'd explored this, which was every time I judged my wife, it drove her away just a little bit more. Every time I gave her a disapproving look, it drove her away just a little bit more. Now, in retrospect, I can look at my first 13-year relationship and ask this same question because that's kind of where you are now, where I was 
so loving and I felt like I was loving and generous and I gave everything I could to this other person. But I also relied on her and depended on her for my happiness and to feel the love that I so felt like I didn't have when I was younger. And I asked that same question. What was my role in the breakdown of this relationship? What did I do specifically that contributed to the cause of our breakup? And one of the things that came up was how jealous I was and how needy I was and how I would uh, wanted to know where, when she went out with her friends, where she'd be and what time she'd be home. I always wanted to know these things. I was so needy and dependent on her for my happiness that I almost didn't want her to have her own life. And that was really powerful for me. I was like, wow, what if I was with someone who didn't want me to have my own life, but always wanted me to be with them and be their comforter and be their supplier of love and happiness and everything that they needed? Would I be okay with that? And, you know, for the first couple months, that feels great in a relationship. But then you settle into your roles and then you're, you want to be comfortable inside yourselves so you can be comfortable together. So when I explored that in my 13-year relationship, I realized that it was all these things that I, I just felt so dependent on her for so many things. And I chose not to, and this is one of the most important things, I chose not to stand up for myself a lot in that relationship, or, or at all, probably. I chose not to speak up when I knew I was right And I chose not to argue because I wanted to keep the peace. I chose not to be myself. I chose not to honor myself because I didn't want her to leave. Because if she left, there goes my happiness. There goes my love. I didn't want her to go away. So what I did was change who I am. And I became the person I thought she needed me to be. And by doing that, she never saw the real me and couldn't possibly fall in love with me. I believe she did love me for a long time. I believe she was in love with me for a long time. But eventually she started understanding that this isn't as real as it could be. And she started falling out of love. And she didn't even know why. She just started falling out of love with me. And for the next two years... It just disintegrated until I asked her one night, what is wrong? And she finally came out with it. I just don't love you the way I should. So where where can you go with this, Melinda? I know this is all hard to hear, and it's not pleasant knowing that you did specific things that caused this, because really everything in your letter says that he was the person that wasn't telling you the truth. He was the person that said, I just want someone who's like me. I just want someone who doesn't want kids. I want someone that is on the same path as me. And then he finds someone else and now he's having a kid. You know, he lied. I mean, this is something that has to be accepted. He lied. That's the kind of person he was with you. He lied. Why did he lie? He probably lied the same reason I lied when I was in that 13-year relationship. I did not want to hurt the person I was with. 
So I made sure that I did things and said things that didn't upset her. Why would I do that? Isn't that mean? No, because I loved her so much, unhealthily so, that I knew that if I said what was really on my mind, it would upset her. And guess what? She might even leave me. I don't know if that's his reasons for the way he talked to you or what he said to you. But let me ask you this. If someone tells you a truth that you don't want to hear, how do you take it? The way you take truth will be the way people treat you. Now, this is so important to comprehend and and really embrace into you. The way you handle truth will be directly proportional to the way you're treated. And what I mean by that is if you fly off the handle or cry or get angry when you hear someone's truth, people are going to lie to you. It's just the way it is. But if you handle truth and accept truth and talk about truth, people are a lot less likely to lie to you. That is one thing that you need to start practicing if you already don't. Now, secondly, you have to treat this breakup as a death, as if he died and he is never coming back. It's hard to hear, but it's the start of the healing process because acceptance that the person will never come back, no matter what you do, no matter who you are, even if you are the perfect woman in his eyes, he will still never come back. Just accepting that allows you to move on. It's the precipice of pain that has to be dealt with and processed in order to get started on the downhill slope of healing. Downhill meaning it's easier and easier as it goes. It's the uphill climb that you try to avoid because that's more and more painful and it's harder to get to. But then once you hit the precipice of knowing that this person is never coming back and you will never be with him again, it starts the healing process. Now, if this is too painful to hear, seek help. Talk to someone. Talk to your best friend. Talk to a counselor. Seek therapy. Seek coaching with me if you want to talk about it. But talk with someone so that you can start really expressing like you did in your email, the pain that's inside of you. Because once you do this, once you get over that precipice, then you can start healing. It's the avoidance of that precipice that keeps you in pain, that keeps the healing from starting. If you allow it to come in and just deal with it, going, bring it on. Okay, whatever the most painful thing is, whatever the most painful truth is, Oh, he has a baby. Oh, he's getting married. He's getting everything that I wanted. Bring it on. Just bring all this painful information on. Just bring it in and let me soak it in so I can't handle it and just burst out in tears and knowing that this was like the worst thing that could ever happen to me. Again, if you can't handle it, don't do it alone because some of this stuff is very hard. And if you haven't had a lot of healing in your life, to get to that point where you can handle it, then seek someone else. Seek a professional. Seek a friend that you feel safe with sharing with because this stuff has to come out. When the woman that was going to become my wife said, you know, I'm going to leave because you're depressed all the time, something inside me snapped. That precipice of 
No, not again. No, what's happening to me? Something happened. And years and years of anger and pain and hatred came out of me about my stepfather. Something totally unrelated to what was happening now. That came out in tears. And it was the first real, healthy breakdown that I'd ever had. And it was worth it. And it was hard. And it was painful. And I never want to do it again. But I'm so glad it happened because it was so powerful. It was that precipice of pain because after that, it was the first glimmer of not being depressed anymore. It was that acceptance that I really hated someone. Like, wow, I hate? I didn't know I was capable of hating anyone. How is this possible? (laughs) You're not supposed to hate people, right? I allowed myself to hate. I allowed myself to get angry. Allow yourself to get angry. Allow yourself to feel the anger and the pain and even the hatred and have uncool thoughts, you know, immoral thoughts in your head. Just play out the scenario in your mind and just let it out because resistance to those thoughts, resistance to those emotions compounds the emotions inside of you, compounds the resistance that's going on inside of you that you're stuffing down and stuffing down and stuffing down and you wonder why you're never healing. You wonder why you're never getting over it. The day I accepted that my wife would never want me back was the day I had to deal with it. Because before then, I thought, maybe there's a chance. Maybe she'll change her mind. What if I stayed in that what if state? And the day I said, no, She's never coming back. The day I decided that, it hit me hard. And it also allowed me to think clearly and start healing. Again, it was a precipice of pain. (laughs) It was huge and it hurt. But it was a moment. It was that moment that started the healing process. So let me give you a specific thing that I've told on the show before. And this is what I did is I want you to start an email or a letter to this person and just just write it to them. Say, dear, whatever his name is, or even, you jerk, whatever you want to say, I am so XYZ. I'm so angry at you. You told me this. You told me that. You lied to me. I want to, whatever comes to your mind, I want to kill you. I want to punch you in the face. Whatever comes to your mind, write it in there, and then do a lot of blaming. I blame you for this. You're a liar, this, this, and this. Whatever comes to your mind, Write it in there. Don't leave anything out. Whatever is in you, get it out. And after you write all that, reread it and see if you feel the exact same way when you reread it. Here's what happens. If you are truly speaking your truth on paper or in an email, you're truly speaking it, then you're going to touch the emotions inside of you that you've been trying to avoid. You've been trying to avoid the pain. You've been trying to avoid the anger, the fear. You'll be touching upon those as you talk about them, as you express them. And what that does, like a little pressure relief valve, first of all, it's an acceptance of what's going on inside of you. Second of all, it's a connection with what's going on inside of you. And third, it's a release in small ways of what's going on inside of you. So reread that letter. And if you feel the exact same way, then you probably haven't hit the hardest stuff yet. But what's likely going to happen when you hit the hardest stuff inside of you, 
is you're going to reread it and go, well, I don't feel as angry as I did about that. So I'm just going to cross that out or delete it. And I don't feel as angry about that anymore or I'm not afraid about that anymore or so on and so forth. You're going to go through it and you're going to start making rewrites. Then you're going to reread it again and you're going to find out if you still feel the same way. And then you're going to rewrite it probably one more time like I did because when I wrote this email to my wife, I blamed her. I put, I, I just said everything I possibly could to show that everything was her fault. Everything in this relationship was her fault. The end of it was, uh, was her fault. The demise of my relationship was my wife's fault. I wrote all of that and uh, in a lot of anger. And when I reread it and rewrote it, the anger dissipated. And then the third iteration of my letter, I ended up taking almost all the responsibility for my role in the end of the relationship. And I completely accepted that we needed to go our separate ways and never talk again. And maybe someday we'll meet again as strangers. But I let her go. And I put this in writing. So my third iteration of this email was the one that I sent. And I felt good about it because that was the moment. As soon as I let her go, that was the moment of clarity of, wow, I can start living my life again. I don't have to think about what if because I am letting her go. I am taking control here. I am making this happen for myself to allow me to be happy without her or at least start the process of feeling happy again without her. And that was the moment that I started healing. And then after that, I figured, okay, I'm ready to date again, (laughs) which was probably the dumbest idea I've ever had because a month after that, I decided, wait, I'm not ready to date again. And I made sure that I, I just stayed single for as long as I felt like I needed. And I did. I stayed single so I could focus on me and experience life, what it was like to be single for like the first time in my life. (laughs) Ever since I started dating, I've always had someone in my life. No, I'm going to take the time for me this time. And I did. That's something that I really want you to do. And if you're the type of person that journals all the time and you're always writing, well, this is a little different because you're writing to a person and you're saying exactly what you wanted to say all this time. Even if it means they get angry with you even if it means they're going to hate you forever because you're just, you're, you just want to get it all out. But remember, you're not sending the first iteration of that letter <laughs> because, in fact, don't even put their name in the to field. If you're writing an email, don't put their name in the to field yet. Just write it because if you accidentally hit send, then that might not go over well. <laughs> it, might, it might actually work out to the best, but you probably want to release some of this stuff or at least express it in ways that are more productive for you because really this exercise is for you. When you go through it, reiterate, reiterate, and then send the one that brings it back to you, your role in the relationship going the way it was. Not your blame, but just your role. Like when my first girlfriend left, me, I felt like she was to blame for everything because I was I did everything right. I loved her. I helped her out. I was generous. I did everything right in my mind. And it took a while of being alone, being single, away from that situation to come into me and go, okay, what did I do 
Well, geez, I wasn't very authentic. No wonder she was trying to avoid me and trying to get out of this situation. She didn't even know who she was loving because I could never be myself around her. And so I want you to listen to um, any episode that I've done on honoring your boundaries and also listen to an episode I did on self-worth and self-esteem because that needs to be rebuilt in you. There needs to be a compassion for you. You've been way too compassionate to too many other people at your deficit, at your loss. And what I want you to do is start giving that compassion back to you, to yourself. Because when you do that, you'll start fulfilling needs and not seeking it from other people. Yes, it's fun and wonderful and just an amazing experience to to, to be in a relationship, to have another person in your life. But when they are a dependency to fulfill needs that we have inside of us that we're not happy until those needs are fulfilled, when you have that dependency to someone else, they will get burnt out. They will wear down because they will feel you pulling that from them in small ways. Even if you're perfect with them and for them, they will feel the pull and they will eventually not want to be with us anymore. And that's when we have to go, wow, what did I do to contribute? Now, I will say this. It's not all gloom and doom for us (laughs) because some people are just jerks. Some people just lie and do whatever they can to get what they want. Some people are like that. And we have to know that if we stayed with that person, that that's what our life would be. We would never see the real them. If my first girlfriend stayed with me, she would never have seen the real me. She would only see the person that lies, the person that placates, the person that is always giving and generous to her so I can get my selfish needs met. We don't want that kind of person in our life because it pulls from us. I could just envision my spirit getting sucked away with a person like that. And that's hard to envision, but I can I can picture it right now. I'm not saying that's what you did at all, but when someone's in a relationship where they start lying more and more, they are afraid to tell the truth for one reason or another because of the fragile person that we are, that we show them. Because when the truth comes out, we can't handle it or something like that. So when you're in a place that you can fulfill these needs in yourself, then you don't create any type of pull on other people because you don't need it. You want it. You don't need it, but you enjoy it when it happens. You enjoy being with them. You enjoy their love, their sex, their sharing, their experiences and, and sharing all this stuff together. When you're in a healthy place and they're in a healthy place, you come together and create a healthy relationship. When you have deficits and you look to fulfill those deficits from someone else, that's when the pulling begins and that's when the the breaking down and the wearing down starts. So I've given you a lot here and I don't mean to put you down in any way because really there's nothing you did wrong. It's just sometimes we think that the healthiest way to have a relationship is to give and give and give and give and give and no matter what, always be the right person for them. And that's not the healthiest way to have a relationship. Always be the right person for you. Honor yourself 
and speak up when you have to, even at the possibility that they may not like what you have to say. You speak up and go, well, this is what I really want to do. Oh, no, I don't like that restaurant. Let's go here because I would, I would love this better. And they may not agree. Or you get into the hard stuff. You speak up and you honor yourself and you do things that are right for you. And then if that person really loves you, they're going to honor you, honoring you. They're going to support you, wanting to support yourself. Because guess what? You're going to do the same for them. And it's going to work out. It's going to be healthier. Thank you so much for writing. A lot of this stuff might have been hard to hear, but I say all of it out of love and respect for you and wanting you to get beyond this. And you will get beyond this. You are amazing. You're going to get through this. Thank you again for writing. Well, all right, that was my uh, answer to Melinda, not her real name. And I just wanted to thank you for listening to that. That was an extended version <laughs> of a reply. And I do want uh, Melinda or anyone that's listening to understand that when I answer these emails, I include a lot of my own stories. I include a lot of my own experiences to show that I've been there and to tell you that there is a way out. I've been there and I got out. I got out of the darkness. I got out of the depression. I got out of the pain of losing someone. So you don't have to stay in that pain. There is a way out. And the very first thing is the hardest. The very first step is the hardest to take. And that is accepting that they're not coming back. We, we get stuck in what if. What if they come back? What if... I do something that makes them love me more or at least like me again. And when we're stuck in that what if, we're stuck in stagnation. And I don't want you to be in stagnation. I don't want you to be in a rut. You're better off just starting again, going forward, healing yourself, loving yourself, being compassionate towards yourself, and really giving you what you need to move on so that you can be healthy for any relationship that comes down the line. Any relationship at all, even if it's rekindling the one you lost. Because you don't want to bring the same old you back into the one you lost. Yes, you might love the same old you and they may have betrayed you, but that person, that person you were, didn't recognize the signals didn't see what was happening there was something missing it's not your fault but it is your awareness it is your responsibility to be aware of yourself of things that are going on not that you're going to be paranoid but just being more healthy I call it being more functional and what that means is you explore any type of dysfunction in yourself and you start the healing process. And how do you do that? You keep listening to this show. You reach out to me for coaching. Go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com and click on Coach with Paul. Or you reach out to a PhD, a therapist, a psychiatrist. You reach out to a best friend. You reach out to a mom or a dad or a brother or a sister. Someone, anyone, where you can feel safe sharing 
the hard stuff. I like to say, always share what's hardest, what you're embarrassed by, what you're ashamed about, what you feel guilty about. Bring all that stuff out. And because once you start doing that, you can start healing. Because if you're holding it in, it's like holding a rock over your emotions, that giant rock where your emotions are hiding under, that need to get out, that need to be expressed. Release the pressure. You can do this. This is all the time we have for today, so I'm going to end the show right now. I appreciate you. I'm so glad that you're here listening, and I want you to have the best life possible. Talk to you again soon. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. And he's not going to let me get away with it, so I'm going to say it. Happy birthday, Tim. (laughs) I want to thank Asha with GetOutOfTheMess.com. You can move forward alone and hope things go well, or you can pay less than a dollar a day to get a team of attorneys on your side to get you through almost any situation. If you're in the U.S. or Canada, visit GetOutOfTheMess.com or call 678 355-8777 and talk with Asha today. I want to thank you. If you've purchased one of my books or purchased a worksheet or maybe even used the Amazon link at theoverwhelmedbrain.com you are helping the show and you're helping me too but really (laughs) if you help me you help the show because I come back week after week knowing that you want to hear more. You know, Amazon doesn't pay that much, but it pays enough to keep this going. So if you're doing this, thank you. And the books don't sell for a lot, but if you're doing this, thank you. I appreciate you. I also want to thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. And I'm going to end the show right now because we are so out of time. And it's time to start another week of our lives and do something that really moves us forward. So that's what I want you to do. I want you to do something that moves you forward. And I don't mean finding the remote control and turning on the TV. I want you to do something that moves you forward. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean to you? Is it something that you need to address in yourself? Is it something that you need to heal from, that you need to process and release, hopefully release? Is it something you want to learn Is it some sort of project that you have way out in the distance that maybe you can take a step towards today? I want you to do something that moves you forward this week. And if you do do something that moves you forward, let me know. Write to me, paul at theoverwhelmedbrain.com. I'd love to hear from you. So with that, I want you to open your mind and step into your power and be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something that I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. Amazing.